In this episode of First March's Driven Podcast, we welcome Jens Christensen, founder and CEO of Jaunt. Jaunt is developing the hardware, software, tools, and applications to enable cinematic VR and put the power of virtual reality in the hands of today's best content creators. In a conversation at Hardwired NYC with Firstmark Managing Director Matt Turk, Christensen shared his thoughts on the future of virtual reality content creation and distribution. Jens, welcome. So as a, as a word of uh, quick intro, so you are the CEO of John VR. Uh, John VR is a startup developing the hardware, software, tools for uh, cinematic VR, and we're going to talk about what that means. Uh, company is based in the Bay Area, and you guys have raised uh, about $100 million across four rounds, so most recently $65 million uh, led by Walt Disney, which I think is very interesting. Um, but so you are one of the uh, companies very much at the, at the forefront of this new VR uh, wave, and uh, we, we're excited to, to have you. So uh, we're going to get into a number of different things, uh, but uh, I'd love to start with maybe uh, your background. So you're, you're a classically trained computer scientist uh, person, right, with a PhD in computer science, I believe, and well, tell us about what, what you did before this and how you, I guess, you came to, to starting Jaunt. Yeah, that's right. So I'm, a, yeah, I'm a technology guy. I'm a computer scientist, and uh, this is, um, I'm a serial offender. We, I've done this. Uh, this is my fourth company that I've started. Um, and uh, before this, uh, I did a, um, I did a software middleware company uh, in the '90s called Visigenic that we took public. I did a, um, a company in 2000 in the, the first big bubble dot com bubble called WebSwap. We were the leader in uh, swapping books and CDs online, and uh, that uh, that company ended up making a big hole in the ground. It, it didn't go anywhere. We we couldn't raise. Uh, once the nuclear winter hit, we couldn't raise money for that company. Uh, I I then uh, sort of semi-retired, moved to Europe, spent three years in London, then decided to come back, and uh, started my third company, which was a semantic search company. We were the first to process um, the entire Twitter firehose. Uh, and we ended up selling that to Flipboard, which is a popular uh, iPad app. Uh, and then uh, Jaunt is um, uh, the fourth company that, that I've started. It's quite a journey. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's been great. Yeah. Yes, wonderful. Um, so, so what is cinematic VR? And I guess uh, perhaps uh, most importantly, what, what did you guys choose to focus on that part of the market as an entry point? Uh, so, the, you know, it, it was really when I tried the, the Oculus Rift, uh, the headset, uh, the DK1. This was back when it was released. Uh, it was actually sold out, so I had to go and find it on Craigslist. Uh, somebody had it. They were selling it in Palo Alto, and I, I was able to buy one. And I, I tried it on, and it was just amazing. Uh, but every, all the content they had was gaming content. And uh, so it occurred to myself and my co-founders that, well, hey, what if we could actually bring reality into virtual reality? What if you could capture reality uh, with a camera and process it and create kind of a virtual experience? Uh, could you feel actually teleported uh, to wherever the camera was capturing? And uh, th that's what we said about building. So we spent the first um, uh, summer uh, basically building uh, our first prototype camera, and it worked surprisingly well. You know, when people tried it, um, you know, they were kind of blown away because they hadn't seen that before. And, um, you know, I, I've done a number of fundraisers, but this was by far the easiest. Uh, we, we had no slides. Uh, we just said, hey, try this. And the people, they tried it and they said, well, you know, how much do you want, essentially? And 
so, so, so that was great, and it sort of got us running. Great. And um, so, so, so it sounds like you're uh, building very much a full stack company. Is that is that is that um, is that a accurate meaning that you so you build a which by the way is is, is fairly uh, common in early stage in early markets. But you do the hardware, the software, the the studios. Can you? Yeah, so, so we're, we're doing a lot of things right now. So we, we have the Jonk 1 camera, which is a very advanced professional level VR camera. I think it's really the best camera for producing VR. Uh, we have a whole cloud-based rendering system uh, that, uh, again, is probably the core of our IP, is our ability to basically render and create VR experiences um, automatically. Uh, then we have an app uh, that we have recently released that basically hosts the content that our partners use. And we have a studio in LA, uh, in Santa Monica, uh, that's basically the hub that partners with the content creators. So we work with a company, you mentioned Disney is one of the companies we work with, uh, uh, ABC, we work with sports leagues like the NFL. Uh, we work really with, with premium content creators, and our goal is to get them to produce VR uh, on our platform, and by having an automated platform, uh, that's a big advantage. So a lot of other companies do VR and they're able to do great pieces, but it's a very manual process. It takes weeks, sometimes months, to produce a piece. Whereas by, by having an automated pipeline, you can do it do it in hours. Uh, so so that's kind of our current advantage, and uh, we're really signing up premium partners uh, and have them create as much content as possible, uh, so that we can release that uh, to the end users. Uh, so right now the revenue we have is really from our partners. Long term, uh, the really scalable business model is sort of what uh, Netflix and Hulu and uh, these other companies do, which is subscriptions. Uh, but uh, we, we need to get there first. We need a, a big, large catalog of content uh, before that becomes a viable uh, business model. And so fast forward five years, uh, do you think you're, you'll still be in the hardware business or are you evolving towards being the software and platform? Yeah, we're, we're really a software and platform business primarily. I, I think um, right now it's a huge advantage to have uh, you, you know, a high-end camera, uh, but uh, you know, the, the hardware business is a very tough business. And uh, we, we said from day one, you know, we, we're, we're not a camera company. We're really a platform content company. Uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if that's, uh, you know, not a business we're in five years from now. Okay. So while it's still around, tell us more about the, the actual camera. Because what you see a lot is people trying to get GoPros together and trying right. to get something. Um, so that's, I guess, the lowest end of the market and you, you had the highest end, right? So what... what what, what do you guys? Yeah, so I, so we we did that. You know, our first prototype we built was obviously with off-the-shelf components, and in that case, it was machine vision cameras. And uh, we actually three printed a, a round shell. We used uh, Shapeways out here to to three print three uh, D print the, the shell. Uh, and um, you, you know, it, it was okay. The, the quality, as I said, it, it got us funded and started. Uh, and then we also have experience with GoPro rigs. Uh, GoPros that were not designed to be part of a rig, so you had to modify them, you had to add heat sinks, you had to add external power, larger storage, uh, and even then the results uh, are not great. And what happens is, if you work with a professional Hollywood level director, they're not going to want to work with GoPros. They, they want to work with professional level cameras. So we decided uh, early on that we had to build our, our own camera. So we're, we're basically building modules that um, have very uh, high-end sensors, uh, much bigger sensors than what you'd find in consumer level camera, you know, much better lenses, 
Uh, they're designed for VR, so, so they have uh, heat properties that make them suitable for putting them in a rig so they don't overheat. Uh, they're fully synchronized. Uh, one of the sensors we use is global shutter, so that literally you know, every module is taking the image at the same time. We support high frame rates, um, 60, 90, up to 120 frames a second. Uh, so all of these things are really, you know, things that we realized were, were issues with the current solutions and, and set about uh, building that. And it was interesting watching the first talk about sort of, uh, uh, you know, essentially uh, doing kind of high, not high volume, but medium volume, volume uh, production, uh, because that's what we're doing at, at the very high end in these cameras. It is, will never be a consumer camera. I mean, it's in, you know, it's a very high price point. Uh, so um, initially, it was actually hard to get hold of the best components. You know, we had to establish a name for ourselves before the best manufacturers would even talk to us. And uh, once we did that, we were able to get the best sensor and the best lens and so on. Uh, but, but there's definitely kind of a hole in the market there. And, and the software is all uh, computer vision because so presumably you have to stitch all these images. Right. So, so that's probably the core of the IP. So we have a team of uh, computer vision PhDs who've been working uh, for a couple of years now. And I'd say still an unsolved problem, how to do it right, uh, because it, it's very complex and data intensive to create a, 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 um, a VR experience. You, you have to stitch things uh, with depth. Uh, so it, it's easy to do a monoscopic stitch, or easy, it's, it's relatively easy. But uh, once you have 3D, it gets really hard. You kind of have to know the depth, or at least guess at the depth uh, of, of, uh, of objects in the image. Uh, and um, we've now gotten to the point where it's good enough that the automated solution uh, doesn't really require any human intervention. So that was really the big breakthrough late last year uh, when we were able to achieve that. Because what that means is that our partners can essentially be autonomous. You know, they can go, they can shoot VR, uh, like ABC News took our camera to first Syria and then they took it to uh, North Korea. Uh, and they uploaded uh, all the imagery, they, they did uh, the automated uh, rendering, uh, and then they did editing. So typically what you do is you render the VR experience, you, you bring down a high-res version into your ex existing tool set, so you can edit like with Final Cut or Premiere, uh, or, and add, add whatever special effects and so on. You then re-upload it to the cloud and then we, we distribute it out uh, into our app. Uh, but essentially, all we had to do was train their camera people for about a day on the camera, and then they were off and running. And they, obviously, they know how to do production. And th that's the way I think cinematic VR is going to scale. It's going to be by existing premium content uh, creators uh, basically using these types of automated tools to create VR experiences, and then, uh, then hopefully, you know, land up in our platform and, and, and you can view them there. And does that work with standard editing tools? I mean, so, or do we need to create the rest of the chain as well? Well, so, so it does work with standard editing tools. Uh, so the, those manufacturers, the, uh, the, those providers, are essentially providing now plugins that work with VR. So for example, you know, editing a full VR, you know, stereoscopic 360 takes some training, getting used to it. It's not obvious how to do that. But if you have a plugin that allows you to put a headset on, and then you can actually edit with the headset on, that makes it much, much easier. 
Okay, great. So we talked about the hardware, the software. So in terms of, of content, so you're saying so people are figuring out uh, quite easily in a, in a day how to use it, which is uh, quite, well, quite, quite <laughs> well. So they, they, so they, they, they're, they're figuring out how to use the camera, but they haven't necessarily figured out how to use VR and how to tell a story in VR. How to tell a story? I, in fact, I, I don't think really anyone's figured that out properly. It's really a new medium, right? When you have the full 360 to work with, and what we see is a lot of people make the mistake of just using techniques they already know where you know they're putting the action kind of in front of the camera even though there really is no front of the camera uh, and uh, you know some of those experiences are okay but they're not taking full advantage of the medium and so what's more exciting to me is working with creators who are really thinking through VR as a storytelling uh, possibility and thinking about well maybe we should have action going on over there or over there or we can use special effects we can use uh, lighting uh, there are all kinds of, um, you know, opportunities uh, in VR that people are only beginning to sort of scratch the surface of. Mm -hmm. And so for all of us, there is also a, a jaunt app uh, right. that people can try and with a Google Cardboard. Right, that's actually the majority. So we support pretty much every headset, uh, but we also support mobile phones. So we support Android and iPhone. Uh, iOS, and you can just download the app. If you don't have a headset, you get a 360 experience uh, that's uh, obviously not immersive, but at least you can watch the content. And you can get something like cardboard or plastic versions of cardboard for $10 now. Uh, there are even cases now that you can buy that are so that you essentially press a button and the lens comes out uh, out of your smartphone. Uh, and uh, probably, I would say about 85% of our users are using smartphones. And so for the type of content we do, it's really smartphones that's going to be the delivery mechanism. And uh, that's very lucky. You know, when we got started, we had no idea you could watch VR on smartphones. Uh, and then once, we've, once uh, you know, we figured that out, we realized that the content we do actually plays on smartphones. So not all VR content is going to play on smartphones. So uh, for, for example, gaming content, high-end gaming content, is doing a lot of real-time rendering and really requires uh, you know, essentially a big GPU, a big computer to play, you know, something like the Oculus Rift or the HTC Vive. Um, whereas the, the type of content we do is pre-rendered. It's pre-rendered up in the cloud and plays on your smartphone. So it, instead of having, you know, a few million potential endpoints, we have, you know, potentially billions. There are two billion smartphones out there today. Uh, so it's a much broader market. Great. So taking a step back, uh, the headsets are starting to ship. Uh, at the same time, they're super expensive, 829 for the Vive, 600 bucks for the Oculus. Uh, so is it the moment, is that the moment that we've all been waiting for? What's your sense of how that's gonna play out over the next few months? Well, I think this is the, the most important year in, in VR. Uh, so the important thing is those companies you mentioned like Facebook, Oculus, uh, HTC, uh, Sony is gonna release uh, PlayStation VR. Uh, you have uh, Samsung, obviously, uh, with Gear VR. Uh, you have Google has just formed a VR division. Uh, Apple hasn't said anything except Tim Cook says VR is really cool. So <laughs> that uh, gives so you an idea yes. what, what they might be up to. Uh, but, um, but all these, you know, basically the biggest comp technology companies in the world uh, are, are, are investing heavily in VR. And uh, so, so that's great. It's great for the whole ecosystem. Um, as I said, I, I, I think what's important about that is that people are going to be aware of VR. Uh, but the reality is I think most people are not going to go out and spend $2,000 on a VR 
headset and a computer, but rather they'll access a lot of VR content through the smartphone. Uh, so uh, for us, what's important about it is just the building of awareness of VR, uh, and then being able to then release content uh, to the general public. So, so you, you, I mean, obviously, that you just said that it works better with with a smartphone, the, the general experience. But uh, but do you think that the future of VR is absolutely smartphones and not the not the app stores of uh, all those guys? Uh, yeah, basically, I, I I think that you know the numbers of smartphones just dwarf the number of headsets, and that will be true for for a long time. Uh, but I think what's going to happen is you're going to get much better headset, mobile headsets. Uh, so having a smartphone in front of your face, I, I don't think is ideal, obviously. Uh, so I think what would be much better is really kind of a, a, a lightweight, dedicated, uh, essentially glasses, if you will, uh, that are maybe driven off your smartphone, so they're connected to your smartphone. Uh, and um, actually LG at the Mobile World Congress just released kind of a sort of early version of something like that, where you basically have a, set of, a light headset that's attached uh, to your phone. Uh, I think that's a much more realistic model going forward. And especially if you have essentially see-through headsets, uh, so you can wear essentially glasses throughout your day, you know, it, and you're getting augmented and mixed reality uh, throughout the day. Uh, you, you know, I'd, I'd see your name superimposed on you, your LinkedIn profile, et cetera. Uh, and then I, I sit down, I press a button, and then suddenly it goes dark, and I, I'm in a VR science fiction experience. Uh, I, I think that's the, the, the sort of attractive, uh, more realistic future for VR in, in the next few years. That's fascinating. So a, a combined VR and AR experience. Uh, wow. Oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, so in, in the in the short term, so there's headsets coming out, but there's a little bit of this chicken and egg problem, right? Where you have the headsets, and but people are going to buy the headsets to get great content, but people to build great content want headsets. Where 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 do you see this going? I mean, as of now, a lot of the experiences, even on the John app, are like a minute long, which is great to get a taste, but right. people are going to want more. Yeah, so so they range generally from uh, yeah like three minutes. Uh, our longest piece is about 17 minutes. It's actually a great piece, it's Collisions. It was done by Lynette Waldworth, who is an Australian filmmaker. And uh, it was uh, shown at the uh, Davos uh, World Economic Forum and at uh, the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, and it's available on the app. Uh, that's probably the longest we've done so far. And the reason that it's short form content is really because of the headsets. You know, we don't think people are ready to strap on a headset for say two or three hours. Uh, and, and in fact, our data suggests that you know most people will watch uh, anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. I mean, you have the occasional user who will watch it for an hour and a half, and you know, I, I wouldn't recommend that. It's, uh, it's probably not good for you. Uh, but uh, you know, as the headsets get better and lighter, uh, it's um, it, people are going to be able to do longer form content. Okay, great. Last question from me because I want to give people time to ask questions. Um, so to, to, the, to the point that you just mentioned, uh, any, any thoughts on uh, live streaming in VR? Is that something that could make people precisely spend longer time, so like watching an entire game, for example? Uh, yeah, again, I, you know, I, I just don't think with the current headsets, people are going to watch a three-hour football game in VR. Uh, I mean, you have what we call the beer problem. You have the headset on, you want to drink beer, and you're, you know, it, it, it's just not a very practical solution right now. Uh, the other thing is you, you have to make a lot of compromises today with live. Uh, so people are doing live, and there are companies specializing in that, and, uh, you know, I, I, you know, 
I, I just think it's a little early. Uh, it's, uh, the, the quality isn't quite there. Uh, you have to make frame rate compromises, resolution compromises. There are a number of uh, compromises you have to make in order to do live VR. Uh, I think these will be solved, uh, you know, maybe as early as next year. Uh, but, but for now, um, there's also the audience problem. You know, even with a few million headsets, for any live event, you'd have to get people who have a VR headset who want to watch that event at that exact same time. And uh, so that's, uh, I, I think that's a bit of a business issue for the people focusing on live. So we're, we're much more excited about recorded kind of evergreen content that people can watch today, tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now. Uh, th those pieces can, can really gain a large audience over time, whereas, say, a sporting event, as soon as it's done, nobody really wants to watch it again. Yeah. Great uh, question, I think. Actually, I think that's the only mic we have, so. Sure. Yeah, so that, that's actually uh, increasing a lot as we speak. So that's accelerating. Uh, and that's because we, we finally rolled out uh, what we call our, our 2.0 uh, cloud solution that is truly fully automated. And so that, that was a bit of a hindrance in the past where we had to sort of handhold each partner. Uh, and now we're aggressively uh, signing up uh, kind of premium content partners. And, you know, I kind of have a goal to be the first to get to 100 uh, premium content partners uh, before anybody else. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it's, again, it takes a little training. If you just take the raw image, what you essentially have, depending on the exact format, is a full uh, kind of panoramic 360, one for your left eye and one for your right eye. Uh, sometimes it's even a little more complex than that in, in that you may, just for efficiency purposes, have the poles separate, you know, the North Pole and the South Pole. And uh, so, but you can bring that into Premiere or Final Cut or After Effects and, and do work on that. Um, but it requires a little bit of training. Um, now, a lot of these companies are actually working on plugins so that they recognize those formats and, and, and give you a much, you know, better version of that that you can view with glasses and a headset and so on. Uh, yeah, we, could, we, we so we have that available. So it depends on the tool you're using. But, but yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> yeah, so what most people are doing is with existing content, and uh, you know, it's kind of funny, at, at Sundance I heard the term flatties for the first time, and that's, that's how people are referring to kind of 2D movies, and uh, the, the way they're, they're bringing that into VR, is, you know, I, I think it's a little hokey, but people kind of like it, is, you know, create a kind of a, a CG, like in Unity, uh, movie theater experience, and then you have the movie actually playing up on a virtual screen. Uh, so that's one way you can repurpose it. Uh, it's not really turning it into VR, it's just a way of just watching the existing movie. 
if you if you had to take uh, existing IP and do true VR, I think the only way to do it is if there's a full 3D model of the content. So there are some animation, there are some properties out there that actually do have a full 3D model built that they've used. Um, and I, I think those you could potentially bring into VR where you could actually be in the middle of the action. The problem with a lot of that is, uh, you know, th that whole industry tends to work with older generation software. Sometimes the software uh, gets obsoleted. And so if a title is, say, 10 years old, you know, it may, may literally be impossible to, to bring it back up to speed because the software it do doesn't really exist anymore. Right. right, so the question is, you know, does our cloud-based rendering solution work with other cameras? And the answer is yes. Uh, so we, uh, we support, in addition to John Camera, we support some GoPro rigs, and we also now support for Nokia's new Ozo camera that's coming out. Uh, and so we don't want the camera to be an issue. You know, if, if people want to use, you know, a, a different camera than the John one, that's fine. Uh, you, you know, we really want to make sure that uh, the, the high-quality content gets created. Somebody like yeah. uh, I have a question. Um, so I've done a little bit with VR and really the portion of hardware that I think would be using uh, smartphone bases, right? Um, I understand that you're not. What do you think is what's the most important part about actually making VR available to people around the world? I mean, clearly people are investing in VR. Clearly VR is really important. It's not important because it's next generation technology. It's important because it's the next frontier of communication. So because it's the next frontier of communication, it's ultimately imperative that it's accessible to everyone. What do you really think the next frontier of making something that is going to succeed people. What is the next phase where the VR is actually going to be more accessible to people? Is that Facebook process? That's how you're probably focused on? For someone who's not really focused on skill building, what is the next step that really, really Oh, uh, so a number of things. You, you know, one thing is really, uh, you know, just better headsets. So, so th those need to come online, and, and they will come online. I mean, the current generation of smartphones were not designed for VR. I mean, it's shocking. It works, frankly. I mean, I, I was shocked because, uh, you know, what are the odds that, you know, it has the right sensors and the right resolution? But the next generation will. Uh, so, so, so that's important. The second thing is uh, VR needs to add some capabilities. We need more social in VR. So right now it's a very isolating experience. Uh, and if you truly want to have shared experiences, it's got to be social. Uh, and, you know, I think it will begin with audio so that you'll be able to talk to your friends. Uh, in VR, you'll be able to share the same experiences. Uh, so so, that, so that, that I'm excited about. Um, and, um, yeah, so just in terms of accessibility, I, I do think... Uh, you know, the low price point of, uh, of VR on, on smartphones is, is the way that's going to happen. Uh, the high-end, uh, 
sort of what we call tethered headsets, you know, headsets that are tethered to a computer, uh, I think will remain, at least for a few years, a relatively kind of niche market. Oh, I, I think the well, I don't know necessarily sitting together, but I think what would be cool is you could sit with your, you know, your friend uh, in California and and go to a concert together or watch a sporting event together. I mean, I, I think that's cool in in a virtual world. Uh, and again, uh, you know, the, the best experience will be essentially having glasses so that I can actually look at you wearing the glasses. Uh, people, you know, when we started off saying, well, VR will be great for for teleconferencing. But, but no, it's not great because you're wearing this big headset and you, you know you, you look stupid talking to each other. Uh, so uh, that, that, that really does need to be solved in, in terms of the headset again. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you know, sharing things with people across the country, even across the world, I think it's going to be extremely powerful. Uh, and um, you know, the other thing is once you have essentially these VR slash AR glasses, you don't need these monitors anymore, right? You, you will just have virtual, you'll have 16 monitors if you want to look at. Uh, and uh, th that's, that's gonna be powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Great, well, it's uh, eight from the dots. Um, so thank you very much. And for your well, thank you.